Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you happen to be watching this episode of Align with Lina. I am so grateful that you are here experiencing what I think is going to be a really empowering conversation today for anybody who has dealt with addiction, who is dealing with addiction, has has a loved one that um, either has been addicted or is dealing with addiction. And we're also going to talk about how all of that has uh, is related to spirituality and the great awakening that we're in the middle of. So I am super excited to invite you to meet a friend of mine who is a relatively new friend because we were just introduced recently because we have similar stories. And when Sherilyn and I uh, connected and we started talking, I knew I needed to get to know her better because we have very, very similar perspectives about addiction, about spirituality, about awakening. And it's one of those conversations that I feel that if you give it, if you give it a chance, you're going to get some really incredible nuggets from this. So please join me in welcoming Cheryl Lynn. I am so excited that you are here with me live and in person. Me too. We just met and yet I feel like I've known you for a long time. I know. I feel the same way. And I am super, super excited. So we had a few technical difficulties. So I am getting ready to share this um, on some pages because it is there we go. It's live. I'm going to go ahead and post it somewhere else. We'll leave it. Not we'll leave it alone because I am just passionate about people understanding that we are in the middle of a great awakening and everything that happens to us impacts our journey, impacts our, our where we are on this, this path of awakening. And you are one of the very few people that, I, I mean, I'm talking, when I say few, unless I can count them in one hand, mm. of people who understand that addiction has more to do with spirituality than somebody having a problem, somebody not being able to get over their issues or whatever it might be. It is something that the world truly cannot fully understand. And I want it uh, to have you come and join me so that we can really expand this conversation and, and make it more acceptable that there are people like you and I that perceive this very differently because it is, a, to me, addiction is a powerful, powerful path towards awakening. So let me just start with you where I start with everybody to, to kind of put us all on, on the same same page. When did you personally begin to realize that there was more to life than what you had been taught was reality? <laughs> well, I think I came in with that knowing, um, like many of us, it got beaten down out of me. Um, when I, I always like this example, when I was about four or five years old, we would drive by this house every day and I would tell my mom this story about how I used to live there and the lady who used to take care of me when my mom wasn't there and what my room looked like. And she would just kind of roll her eyes energetically and say, oh, you have such an active imagination. And it was things like that, having that, that judgment of an active imagination after a while I thought oh I guess it's not good to have these thoughts or and I stopped really trusting myself and believing myself mm. 
So it, w it was from a pretty early age that I have that memory. Um, but then I think as I got older, I it seemed like I was always on a spiritual quest from the time I was 12, 13. And I used to imagine what what it would be like not to be in my body anymore, you know, and what that would be. And then I would freak myself out and say, no, 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 I don't want to leave my body right now. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a long journey. So yeah. And I, I cannot say that I have those, had those experiences as a child, but I did come in with a real keen sense of what I'm going to call a bullshit meter. I could spot somebody being two-faced. I could spot lies. I could really sense when when somebody had double standards. I just from a very young age had that sensation and it began to happen in, in church. You know, I grew up Catholic. I grew up in the Dominican Republic and, and I grew up Catholic. And the up what the church taught, but what the church people did was totally different. And I was like, that that doesn't make sense. Um what what an adult would say, you know, do as I say, not as I do. That didn't make sense. To me, the double standards did not make sense. So as a child, I was very inquisitive. Well, why did you say this and do that? So I was calling adults into uh, basically, I, I was calling them out and they didn't really like that. Too much. Bad. <laughs> However, because I had such a really clear sense of, of what was what seemed like right and wrong. Now I don't see it as right and wrong. Now I see it as high frequency, low frequency. So it's very different. But then I judged it right and wrong. That really served me well because I had a really strong sense of integrity and I really wanted to honor my word. So what what happened for me is when my mind got filled with what reality was like, you know, just go out there and work really hard, accumulate a whole bunch of debt, have a corporate job, make a lot of money and raise a family. And then one day you can retire and be happy. When I was doing all of those things and nothing was really making me happier, every time I chased and achieved something, it seemed like there was something else to go after. I began to go, this doesn't make sense. Something is off here. So I began to apply those patterns into my own life, especially when my mom passed away. And then I had this horrendous fear of death. And when that fear of death kicked in, I was like, this doesn't make sense. So that part of me that was used to, to unraveling things began to go down a major rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And that's when I entered the rabbit hole of hell and heaven and what was taught to us about what what happens after this lifetime, I began to realize that there is no after this lifetime in terms of who, who we are, what we are. What we are is something that is eternal that has this lifetime and has another lifetime and has, you know, a bazillion lifetimes. So I needed to figure things out in this lifetime. And with my strong sense of integrity, I began to discover some things that were not taught to me when I began to encounter what source is, what God is, what I am. I had to then apply that integrity and to keep me on on that path of, of really walking my talk. And well, clearly that 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 served me so well. It, it, my whole life fell apart, but that that integrity and groundedness served me so well that it helped me when my son began his drug addiction 
that it served me so well because I had such a strong sense of integrity of, of following my inner guidance mm -hmm. that it allowed me to really be of service to my son. So it sounds like you put off your, your knowingness when you were a child, kind of tucked it away a little bit. When did you begin to pick that up so that it would be part of who you are as an adult or maybe even not as an adult, but later on in your life? Um, I mean, again, it was a series of what I'll call awakening experiences that one after the other, I started really remembering myself and like what you were just saying, that connection to something greater than myself and the expansive awareness that, I, you know, I'm more than this body, I'm more than my thoughts, you know, that I'm eternal, all of that. And, um, you know, there, again, I could pick any one incident of my remembering myself and and my connection to God. Um, but I think what happened was it was a slow progression until things got more and more dramatic. It was like the cosmic two by fours was getting bigger and bigger until it was like, wake up and see and, and live this way, not just have it be a spiritual practice, but actually live the life that you're you're meant to live, which is to walk around, not being afraid of what's on the other side, and just allowing it in. So for me, I think um, you know my big awakening <clears throat> was I don't. There's probably many people that are listening now that can relate to this, where you you keep reading different books and going to different classes and listening to different spiritual teachers, right? <laughs> and thinking that there's that you're going to find an answer for yourself. Like I, for me, it was, I felt very um, shaky, like a leaf in the wind. Like, oh, that looks good. Oh, maybe that's what I believe. Oh, maybe this is what I believe. Even though I, I have that core essence with society telling us, you know, that we're supposed to be a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way. It was very confusing. I didn't get this human thing. And when I really had a dark night of the soul, I had again, given my power away to a teacher who, um, you know, she, there was many wonderful things about her, but it was, I went to her to find myself and find that core in myself. And what ended up happening is my ego got totally broken down mm -hmm. until I felt like I was a shell of my former, well, so instead of self, I'll say a shell of my former personality, mm -hmm. everything and identity. And I, and I, it was in leaving, you know, her, her sphere that I finally had to face myself and was like, well, who am I if I'm not a this or a that? Yeah. And that, that was my big wake up call. It took me about a year to like really find myself again. And I vowed I would never give my power away to another teacher or a book or an ideology again. And, and I haven't, <laughs> that was a, oh. a while ago. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. I definitely, uh, you know, I've, I've been on this journey for 15 years. Well, I've been on the journey for about 20 years and I've been a coach and a teacher for um, of spiritual principles for 15 years. And it, it is really, really clear that everybody goes through that. We all give our power away first to mom and dad. And then we give it to to the church and we give it to the education system and the government. Right now, all of those things are breaking down. Right. But one of the things that is really fascinating on this journey is to observe 
how we give our power away to teachers. And I, I definitely um, have done that myself with others. And I've noticed where there were times earlier in my journey that I really wanted people to put me on a pedestal, <laughs> my egoic self. Yeah. So breaking all of those things down helped me really come to the place of realizing our equality as divine beings. And it was, again, that was another one of those elements that assisted me in, in being present for my son when he was going through his drug, drug addiction, because you can't fully serve another, another being from a spiritual perspective. If we are on a pedestal, we, we cannot put ourselves on a pedestal and let them know how low they are. We've got to connect at a soul level, which means we have to be equals. And that, of course, is another one of those things that is um, not how the world teaches about addiction. You know, that so many addicts are seen as the scum because, you know, they're failures. They, they totally, you know, they, they can't hold a job and they can't hold this. They can't hold a promise. They can't you know, hold their work, whatever it is. So yeah, it sounds like you and I had lots of little pieces that helped us realize authority is not outside of us. Um, so how did you take that and apply some of the things that you were discovering in your life, all these different awakenings? How did all that serve you when when you began to realize that you had children with addiction? So that that's one question. But also I want then for you to to let us know how did the addiction um, process begin how did it touch your lives and then we'll take how you were in terms of your alignment with your awakenings then present to the addiction that was taking place in your your family well cool. okay so for me um my son actually who has some addictive tendencies i will say he actually paved the way um, with his mental health challenges so that by the time you know my daughter was having um, drug addiction issues he'd actually already prepared me in many ways it prepared me in that i learned from years of trying to fix him like, oh, not my son, he's gonna, like, he's gonna be one of those, we're gonna find a magic formula and he'll be over it. And, you know, he was, he was clinically diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia, schizophrenia and mood disorder, which is called schizoaffective disorder. And it was very dramatic. We went through many, many different things. He even was incarcerated at one point. And all of it really paved the way for me realizing that he was on his own journey and that my only job really was to love him like that. And, it, and it's it, with him, I feel in some ways I'm even farther along just because I've been dealing with it longer. My daughter, um, the thing with my daughter really started, I think a while ago, it was not something that um, I, I realized like the subtle things about addiction like, you know, when you're in high school and everyone's drinking and, you know, partying, it's hard to tell the, the addicts from the ones that are just experimenting. Um, and so there was that uh, element to it. But it, it things, I think, really accelerated when her dad got sick. And um, he was he was a very difficult person. Um, we had divorced a few years before this. And um, 
she just had a really hard time like knowing how to deal with the fact that her dad was really sick. And um, that was when somewhere around that time is when she started uh, experimenting with pills. And, you know, of course, pills, they're more expensive. And eventually that led to her using heroin. Mm -hmm. And um, knowing that her addiction is also, just like my son's, part of her journey and that there's nothing I can do to stop it. I mean, I there was one incident where I actually helped her get clean. And I told her after it was done, because it was horrible to watch your child go through that. It was yeah. not fun, but she wouldn't go to rehab at that point. And afterwards I said, if you ever relapse again, you're on your own. I, I mean, I'm here, but I will not do that again. You know, I still love you, but that, it was just too hard. It was emotionally um, traumatizing for me, actually. So, it and it didn't matter when I was in the thick of it, my deeper understanding of the fact that this was her journey, that she, you know, I, I feel that I'm supported by beautiful cosmic family as well as earth family. And I could feel that she was as well, that she was completely surrounded and, you know, had a support system, but that didn't make any difference in those wee hours of the morning when, you know, the anxiety would start and I think, oh my God, what if she leaves? What if she yeah. leaves the planet before me? And I think that's the key thing with anyone dealing with anyone, not just your children, but anyone with addiction. We hear all these stories about, you know, how horrible it is when someone dies. But when you know that you're always connected, right, Lina? Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've yeah. talked, we did talk about this. When you know you're always connected, then as long as you can take a deep breath, come back into the present moment and be like, oh yeah, in a body now, out of a body eventually, no one knows exactly how long we're gonna be in these bodies. And when, if that happens, then that's when to, you know, yeah. deal with, right? And that's exactly what um, having reconnected spiritually to my truth and my sense of, of self as a higher, you know, my higher self as a capitalist self, not my small egoic self, having had the opportunity to begin that journey before my son started his drug adventure was powerful, absolutely powerful because it prepared me with a, I'm going to say a level of, of grounding for all of the other lessons that came on while he was on his, on his drug adventure, because it's one thing to know it in your head that we're one. It's a whole nother thing, as you said, to watch your child ingest something that you that you have no idea what's in that in whatever they're putting in their body. They don't really know what they're putting into their body because, you know, just because they got it from a friend who got it from a friend who got it. We don't know. I've I've been around the block enough to have heard so many stories about these chemicals laced with other things. And, uh, you know, there, there are just people on this planet, they're here, their journey is to do very unloving things. So all of the times that I know in my head, he's eternal. If he dies, we're still connected. Yes, in my, in my, um, my beingness, I didn't walk the talk. 
So I would go into my my fears and my my terror. What if this is the last moment I'm going to see my son? Mm -hmm. And it was absolutely part of my continuing to deepen my faith in my truth to walk my talk even more was when when I had to face those moments. So absolutely. Tell me what, tell me more about your actual experience with, with your children in terms of what were some of the spiritual lessons that you were able to glean for yourself? We'll talk about the kids in a minute, but talk about your lessons, because if parents don't get that our children's addictions are as much a gift to us Mm. as as they really truly are, we will resist getting our lessons. We will resist learning how we are impacted by this. It's not just them. And so many parents think, well, this is my child's thing. I'm not an addict. I don't have any problems, but we're all mirrors for each other. We're all mirrors for each other. So the lessons are, are big and deep if we allow ourselves to receive them. So share some of yours, please. I think the biggest thing I realized, Lina, is that how much of a control freak I am. <laughs> yeah. that was, it was hard to admit, but I realized so many things that I did were just trying to fix my kids and, or, and get them to like go into this narrow idea of what would be comfortable for me so that you know I could go back to living my life the way you know I wanted to <laughs> and not have to deal with their issues. And, you know, I laugh now, um, but it really was, I think, and and still is sometimes, you know, I, I get so tempted to say something that would direct my children to behave a certain way, right? <laughs> I just, okay, go back and remember the connection. You know, I, I talked to my daughter, or I didn't talk to her, I, I was texting with her before, before our, um, our conversation today. And I asked her, you know, I've asked her these questions before. She and I actually, when she was clean for a couple of years, actually started a project that we were gonna do together about um, really understanding addiction from an addict's point of view. And I just asked her, you know, what what is one thing from an addict's point of view, because she's actively using right now, what would you, what would you say? And she reminded me of this wonderful video. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, it's a, a TED Talk by Johan Hari. Um, and, and it's called Everything You Think About Addiction is Wrong. I had to mm-hmm. write down the title. And the main thing that I got from watching that, and I, it's like I understood that spiritually just from being with her, was don't alienate the addict. Be with them. I remember when I was I was at some sort of a conference and I was sitting next to this Native American gentleman and it was when my my son, um, you know, he'd been recently diagnosed with uh, schizoaffective disorder and I asked him, you know, if he were in your tribe, how would you treat him? And he, he said, he would be with us. In other words, we don't separate someone because they're different or they yeah. have something that you know we don't like we keep them with us you know there's there's certain things that you know if he wasn't behaving properly someone would go sit with him properly meaning you know he's making other people's lives difficult right 
So, and I've always, I've always, I always had that sense um, that this is such a, I mean, I feel that addiction is such a lonely place to be. We have so much, so much, um, yeah. so much, especially in our Western culture, we have so many opportunities to do things and be with people and do it. But a lot of it is, it doesn't connect us deeply with each other. And so, there's, so there's this feeling in the world of being alone. And I think that that, I know for me, you know, for me, food has always been my drug of choice. And in the times when, you know, I just eat unconsciously and I'm just, it's always this feeling of disconnection, yeah. you know? And in, in the video, he talks about that, that being sober is not the opposite of addiction. It's actually connection is, is actually the opposite. Oh my goodness. I, so I agree with you in terms of, because I had the same experience when my son was going through his addiction, control was one of the, the characteristics that I was realizing um, were so prevalent in my life because I wanted to control my children's life so that I could have a semblance of having having become who I thought I was supposed to be, have the things that I thought I was supposed to have so that I could show how great I had done my life. Mm -hmm. And that included being a good mom, having done parenting right, which meant my children needed to be perfect to fit into that image. And if they didn't fit into that image, then absolutely, I had to go into fix it mode, control mode. Now, that, that's how I lived most of my life. And when, when I began my, my spiritual journey, Spencer was, I think he was maybe six years old. So he, he already, by the time he started doing drugs at 14, he already had mom for quite a while operating um, for about, might, might have been, yeah, about eight years or so. So I guess he might have, I can't remember, he might have been maybe eight. Already he knew that I was beginning to sh to change and shift and become somebody who treated others uh, with more reverence as equals. And when he started doing his, his, his drug adventure, um, and we call it that because it was quite the adventure. I mean, it was a knuckle, you know, white knuckle gripping adventure. And I, I, I saw myself so many times wanting to make him stop what he was doing so that I could be okay and realizing, oh my God, that's not loving. That's not loving. Because most of the time it meant isolating him. Well, you're not going to go out with your friends. You're not going to go to that party. You're not going to go do this. You're not going to go do that. The very places where he found connection, because as you said, and I totally agree, I haven't seen that video and I, I'm going to look at it. But there is an internal isolation from our our own selves that happens and we're disconnected from the truth of who we are and drugs make us forget that disconnection. They alter us. So drugs, as, as you were saying, food, my drug of choice was shopping. You know, every time I shopped and I bought something new and I felt, you know, put on this new outfit and somebody said, oh, you look great. It was like, you know, my my hit. Um, oh, now, you know, I'm somebody, I'm, I'm good, I'm loved, I'm wanted. So that isolation was something that 
when the traditional way of dealing with addiction was presented to me, um, you know, send them away, I just didn't want to do that. I didn't want to disconnect him from the family. But at the same time, his father, who we were divorced, wanted him to go get fixed. Go, let's send you out there somewhere, get fixed. And I didn't say no to that. And Spencer was sent off, you know, for a week at a time and eventually for a month. And I remember how when he came out of that, it had its benefits. But when he came out of that, I had to apologize that he was basically sent off, you know, we didn't want him around. I, again, I, I did not argue with his dad. That was important to his dad. And I wanted to support that. But that sense of connection is so important. So say more about you understanding that, that need for connection, you understanding that you were controlling and how in your own spiritual journey, your own spiritual, maybe let me ask you this. What the heck does that mean to you being on a spiritual journey? Because <laughs> we throw it around, but right. it, it, let's break it down. I mean, every everyone's experience is different. I, I honestly feel very blessed that I have had these experiences and even in my work that um, I have certain intuitive abilities that have allowed me to connect to my kids' higher self very easily or fairly easily, you know, when I get my ego out of the way and I can connect. And, um, you know, even with, with some of my clients where they're having a hard time letting go of trying to control their kids, like, well, what really is happening? And the first time this happened with my kids in a big way was when my son, um, you know, he'd already had the psychotic break and he was really, you know, he was, manic and he was running around and you know the, the, we were trying to actually get someone the police anyone to intervene because we couldn't find him he was running around phoenix and um and i was worried about him i was so worried about him and that he was going to hurt himself first something bad was going to happen to him and when i when i tu when i tuned into him to his higher self <laughs> he was not suffering with mental illness at all. He was having a blast. He was running around. He said, I love trying to, you know, run away from the cops and, and push everyone's buttons. And he said, it's a blast. You should try it. That's how he, that's what he communicated to me. And so it's funny with him, especially people be like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, when they would hear that I have a yeah. son with mental illness or a daughter that's a heroin addict, they're like, oh, and I would say, oh, no, you have no idea. He's one of the happiest people I know. <laughs> you know. And that was even then when he was totally off his rocker. Right. Um, and now he's now he's pretty fairly stable at this point and, um, you know, enjoying his life for the most part. Um, and even with my daughter, even though her decisions kind of make me go like this, you know, there's part of me because like, and I think this is a part of it, don't you think, Lina, that we can't imagine ourselves doing whatever it is, right? And so we think that's all we have to go on. We're not in their bodies. We're not living their lives. And so we don't really understand what it is that they're dealing with. Um, and the decisions they're making make total sense to them at the time. I know with my daughter, you know, there there have been times where 
you know, I think, you know, you're such a strong, like amazing young woman. Like, like why, why drugs? There's like so many other things that you could do to cope with the pain of life. But the reality is, you know, I actually dated someone a while ago and he was a drug, drug counselor and had a group that he would lead for teenagers and young adults. And he said, you know, he used to shock, shock them because they'd come in thinking, you know, that he was going to say drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs because that's what they'd been told. Right. And he would say, so what do you, what do you think I'm going to tell you about drugs? Oh, drugs are bad. And he said, no, drugs are awesome. And they, of course, you know, were startled. And he said, because they do exactly what we want it to do. Right. Yeah. That it makes us numb. It makes us feel better. We forget all our troubles. You know, it's great. And it ruins your life eventually. You know, in most cases, if you keep on that path, it's not gonna, it's not gonna give you that fulfillment that you're looking for. So, yeah. Well, you know, and that, that is a, a perfect, perfect thing to share because what this spiritual journey for me is all about is connecting completely by removing the obstacles, the, the mental obstacles, the beliefs, the thoughts, the ideas of who I'm supposed to be, what reality is supposed to be from the part of me, that soul, spirit, God essence, whatever you want to call it, higher self, infinite self, or it doesn't matter what we call it, that part of us that is eternal, the essence of that is what, you know, growing up Catholic, again, I'll, I'll go back to the teachings of Jesus. When he said, I and the Father are one, he was, he was stating that God source that you think is out there is in here. Mm -hmm. there, there is a creative power within. Mm -hmm. So to me, this spiritual journey is about coming in to align with that. That's why I call this Align with Lina, is I love to bring examples of people who have aligned with that inner inner voice and are connected with that. I'm a student and a teacher of the Course in Miracles. And, and that's when it became super clear to me, which actually I used the Course in Miracles um, when I was working with Spencer as, as he was moving through his, his understanding of what was happening to him. But the Course in Miracles simplifies things. We have two voices. We have the voice of the ego, which is all the external information we have picked up all learned and the voice of, our, of God, the voice of our soul, which is all internal. It's, it's the, I'm here to deliver a gift to the world, which is my creativity, my joy, my love, my light, my fun. Mm -hmm. So the spiritual journey for me is about sorting out those two voices and aligning with the one that is our natural voice. So you have to unlearn a lot of the programming, delete, all of these thoughts, like you and I trying to be controlling. Why are we controlling? Because it was taught to us. Right. So we want to let go of that control so we can connect with our children or whomever at a deeper place. And that's what I, that was probably the most profound thing that happened to me with Spencer is you were talking about tapping into your, your children's higher self. I, I, I connected with consciousness mm -hmm. who kept saying to me, you know, your child does not need a drug intervention. Your child needs a soul intervention. You've got to go in there and let his, let remind him he has a soul, mm -hmm. remind him 
that he has a voice inside of him that can guide him out of this. He's only drugging because he's not listening to, to his inner voice. The drugging is the what we do. And again, it's any addiction. At the time I was going through a divorce of, of uh, uh, a man I had married after I divorced my kid's dad. And I realized that I was addicted to his approval. I became addicted to what he said. It's like that marriage meant so much to me that I was willing to not listen to my guidance many times, many, many times for which I, I would look back and, and felt guilty. And then of course I had to do my forgiveness work. But many times I would listen to what Ken was saying that he needed me to be with him um, because he was jealous of the time I was spending with my child. That's his you know, new marriage. Mm -hmm. Instead of listening to my inner guidance, it said, no, be with your child, which, as you said, needed the connection, needed to feel in that moment, mom's hug while he's coming down from a high or while he's scared because um, he was dealing drugs. And there were times that he was scared that he didn't have the product or, you know, he didn't something happened, something could go wrong. There were many times that he needed to be with me, but my fear, my addiction to the approval from the husband was what were beautiful, powerful lessons for how quickly I didn't stay aligned with my higher self. Mm -hmm. So amazing lessons. What were some of the other lessons that, that you gleaned from this journey with your kids? Um, one of the things that I, I've realized is that, you know, my, it, it's really helped me to define my purpose for being here. You know, like, well, you know, why did I come and decide to be human in this, <laughs> in this crazy time on the planet? And as you were talking, I was thinking about the choice to use drugs or any other addictive substances. The younger people especially that are on the planet right now are highly sensitive most of them are so sensitive my daughter when it comes to my intuitive abilities you know i work as a medical intuitive and i you know i i see stuff um far outweigh mine and i didn't realize that she never told me um when she was eight years old she apparently started having these experiences where she was like traveling outside of her body and she didn't tell me until she was in her early 20s. And I was like, why didn't you, of all the moms, like that, like I would have been totally cool with it. She said, I know, but if I had said it out loud to someone, it would have made it more real. And I just was trying to be normal. I was just, and, it, and I would say maybe normal isn't even the right word because she was always a rebel, <laughs> but um, just grounded, I think is more, more like she wanted to stay in her body. She wanted to stay grounded and not be traveling all over the place. And one of the cool things that happened, so this is the positive side of the drug addiction, is during periods where she was clean, those abilities came roaring back. And um, she she had, she was amazing. Like some of the things that, that she could, she experienced and that she would share with others. And she, you know, she's one of those people that you can go to and she'll get an intuitive hit and she's always spot on. And I think in some ways, I, I, I think that it, perhaps it does still scare her. And there's so many sensitive souls on the planet that have these 
you know, whether whether you see them as psychic abilities or just good intuition, doesn't it doesn't really matter. But they're picking up on the energy that's on the planet. And right now it's very chaotic, especially with what we've just been through over the last year and a half, two years. And um, and so if you have someone that's that sensitive, they really need they need a space. They need understanding. They need compassion. And, you know, I love something a friend of mine, my friend Jennifer Huff says, <laughs> says which is um, she said, it's not so much that we need to change them. It's that we need to change the world around them. Absolutely. It's the world's, you know, the chaos in the world that is causing them not to want to be here and be fully present, right? Yeah, which is a really interesting thing because, I, you know, the, the more I understand the mind of God and it just keeps opening up and so much, it's so vast and so beautiful and so amazing, so full of infinite possibilities that once I understood what was going on, all of us are, are divine souls who choose to have a human experience. But when we enter the planet, we enter into lower densities. We enter into a planet that's conditioned by past um, information and wants to pull these new young beings that come in from the light, pull them into the darkness, pull them into the old ways, which is to me what's, what's dark. It's an old way. Pull them into a drawer somewhere and you, you or more appropriately, a box. You come down from your, your infiniteness and we're going to put you into a box. And these children, I would say in the last couple of generations, have come in to push against that box. And for them to push against that box to let us know this makes no sense. Because when you're closer to source, you know so much more. That's why you come in with a bullshit meter, which is what I experienced. And I wasn't tapping into the other realms. I was just here very clear about what was okay for me and what, what, what wasn't. Yeah. And these children, when we're trying to shove them into a box, we are literally sending them into a, a, a mental prison. A, and the emotions that are raging inside of them, pushing against going to a school that's boring, pushing against having to, you know, wake up at a time that's not natural for their bodies or sit for hours on end doing something that they know is is redundant because their mind already knows, you know, a, a, a real simple example, my son and oh, my gosh, it just he was showing me who he was in first grade. The teacher was a homeroom mom, room mom for the teacher. So I was there all the time. And, and halfway through the school year, she said, Lina, not even halfway through. This was actually about a month or two into the school year. She said, I got to talk to you. There's just there's something with Spencer. This is really interesting. She pulls it as an exam or a test that the kids had done. Simple things. One plus one, you know, two plus two. Very simple things. And she says, I know Spencer knows this, but he handed me the test and it was it was like 10 problems, but they were pretty much the same thing a couple of times. And anyways, it was repetitive. She pulled the test and she says, I asked Spencer, why didn't he do the work when I know he knows it? And he looked at me and in his Spencer little, you know, one year old talk, the teacher's name was Mrs. Beaver. She says, Mrs. Beaver, I didn't fill them out because I know you already know I know it. <laughs> and he 
was so serious. Like, why would I keep writing out what you already know? I know it's a waste of my time. I'd rather go play. So these children come in knowing really more than we do. They're tapped into inf infinity. And we take that and take that, that beautiful, beautiful um, imagination and, and, and chisel the brilliance off and shove it into a box. And of course, when they're in a box and they're isolated and they're uncomfortable and they can't activate their creativity because they've been taught um, that they can't make any money doing the thing that they want to do or that they have to go to college and they have to do really well and study and blah, blah, blah. If they don't fit into what society has decided is their path, then of course they want to do drugs. That pain of disconnection from their inner truth and pretending to be what everybody else needs them to be so that mom and dad can be okay. What, what a burden to carry. Yeah. It's like crazy that that's what we're doing. But fortunately, those children are not going to stop pushing against the box because now the parents are listening. They're listening. And, and I know so many, you know, I just became a grandmother weeks ago Congrats. for the first time. Thank you for the first time. And Spencer helped me find my purpose, which, which was to help people understand that addiction is a call for love, not punishment. Mm -hmm. And my grandson, Ryder, now I am like on a mission to make sure that the messages that I learned from Spencer get out there because it is absolutely not okay for us to be so ignorant to the amazing brilliance that these children have. We need to change our mind and get off of our pedestal thinking we know everything, get off of this controlling, you know, uh, personalities that we have acquired with shows like father knows best, mother knows best. No, we don't, we don't know better. We don't know better. So that is, that's been a beautiful part of my journey um, is coming to that place. Like you said, of finding my purpose as well. Determined mm -hmm. yeah. mama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you're writing a book. You're writing a book. I'm writing a book. I, I'm almost finished with the first one, which is just a comp compilation of my blog posts. Um, but the second book really, and I've, I've started it. Um, and I'm, the first part is really going to be interviewing parents and asking what what has been the hardest thing for you and what not to i think one of the one of the issues is right now that there are so many places you can go to complain or share you know the horror stories i mean and, and that that is necessary when you're in the thick of it it made me feel so better, so much better to hear other people's stories. But then what? And that's what this book is going to address. Then what? Like how do? Like how? How can I personally, if if it's just about my relationship, you know, with my children, or it could be another loved one, it could be a parent or a or a cousin, or it doesn't matter, someone that you care about that is having an addiction issue. Like what in that relationship? can I do to come from love, as you say, you know, to make sure that they feel loved and not alone, but also to understand that this is not my, it's it's really not my business what they're going to do because it's their life, not mine. And I have to trust that God is watching over them just like God is watching over me. 
So that's part of it. But then in the bigger picture, you know, what do what what can we do as a society to shift and change the way that we look at addiction and what's going on that is the true root cause of it? And, and I think that for me, it's, it's really when we understand the spiritual nature of it all, that what if this was, this was a, when I was younger and someone told me this, I was like, I don't know if I can buy that. What if before, before my, we'll go with my daughter, before my daughter incarnated, she said, I'm going to struggle with drug addiction this lifetime because I really, really want to learn what it feels like to be disconnected from source and from my, from my true self. And then so that I, I can really have that experience and maybe teach other people about it. And what if, what if, what if it, and, and that by trying to force them into speeding through that journey, we're actually interfering with their life path, right? Radical thought for a lot of people, but. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I absolutely have come to know as my truth that every single one of us is here with, as the Course in Miracles says, the script is already written, which means not that we don't have the ability to change things while we're here, we have free will. But before we incarnate at a soul level, we are doing exactly what your son's higher self was telling you. This is a playground, playground planet Earth. I'm going to go down there where I'm going to get lost in the insanity. And I know I have a lifeline, direct lifeline to, to sanity. And I will either have unconscious parents that help me through the, that, that help me solidify my pain, or I'm going to have conscious parents that assist me on the journey to remembering who I am. It is absolutely something that we plan to do. Now, I know a lot of people don't want to believe that because who would plan to do such misery? But if you're an eternal soul, that that's it, it's an experience no different than an actor who takes on the role of being, you know, a, an addict. We have seen lots of beautiful, amazing actors and actresses play the role of an addict, do an amazing job on screen, suffer tremendously. You know, we, we cry with them. We feel their pain. But in real life, they never did a single hit of any single drug. They probably don't even drink. So how can that be? How can you play that role of pain and suffering and still be a, a, an actor who has never touched, you know, whatever it is that you're pretending to, to be using on screen? Well, it's the same thing. Our soul is an infinite actor. That, that's, that's what it is. It's it's we don't confuse the actor with the role and oh that's who they are. Unless of course you're Susan Lucci and then you you play the role that <laughs> she played for you know 40, 50 years. But we we really we have to remember the truth of who we are. And how do we address this? It has to be very comprehensive for me. It has to start with the child when they're born, we've got to get parents to understand who they are, understand spirituality, not religion, and not even new age spirituality, because I have seen where that becomes a trap as well. I, I got trapped in a new age spirituality box for a while. But the spirituality that you are spirit, and you are something grander and greater, 
And then we've got so many other things that need to be cleaned up. We need to clean up the education system that does not educate to, to a higher being. It educates to put people in boxes. Although many wonderful teachers who are younger are pushing that system. Many conscious parents are pushing that system. The medical system is messed up, you know, to the way that we numb our children with pills, that we, we teach them that pills are, are what you need, you know, to, to feel better. The insanity of, of um, making things illegal that are helpful, natural things like, like pot, you know, there are natural things that assist us while we're navigating this insanity to feel a little bit better. And I'm not a pot smoker, but I know a lot of people, many adults who smoke pot and it's just a nice way to relax. Why is that illegal? It doesn't lead you really to other things. That's not what led my children to to other things. What led them to other things was the pressure, the pressure that they were experiencing. So, oh, my goodness, we could talk for for three hours about this. Say more about um what what your children have said is most helpful to them that you have done well it was a it was a wonderful moment and not i, I know from listening to other parents that not it's you're blessed if your kids come to you and say you did a good job mom <laughs> and both my kids have said that to me because what we see a lot of times is that our fear will get in the way of us actually remembering that we love this person, that we care about them and that we want to be connected to them. And instead we just push them away. So, and I didn't really do that with my kids. Now with, with both of them, you know, if my son was like way off, way off in psychosis land, I would, you know, cause he would say some pretty awful things to me. Um, but it wasn't him, you know, it was, he, I definitely felt like it he was possessed, temporarily possessed. And it was part of his spiritual journey. But when he was like that, I'd be, I love you. I'm going to hang up the phone now and I'll talk to you when you calm down, you know? And with my daughter, it was the same kind of thing. It's like, I really don't want to spend time with you while you're high. Cause it's like, you're not really there to me. And you know, the drugs are who I'm talking to. Um, but I love you and, you know, I'll see you and well, we haven't seen each other in a long time because of COVID, but, um, you know, I'm not going anywhere and, and I've got your back on a certain level, um, not, you know, enabling her, but just, just letting her know she's loved and that, you know, she's not alone. So, um, I'm very fortunate that I don't see my kids as broken. Ditto, ditto, you know, that that was what you just shared again, so many things that we have in common is if you ask my son, um, what was the thing that he hated that I did most is I would say to him, you're creating your own reality. This is happening because you're choosing it. And he would say, mom, I didn't choose to do this. Who put that that drug in your mouth? Who who shot that thing up into you? You know, who did this, that or the other? Mom, I'm under a lot of pressure. I'm under a lot of things. But ultimately, who's choosing to do this? He hated that I would say that to him. And if you ask him, what is the most the best thing that your mom did for you? He would say, 
he kept telling, she kept telling me that I was creating my own reality until one day I realized, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> and it was for the exact same thing that you said. I didn't see him as broken. I saw him as two parts. I saw that the conditioned egoic part that I had to see, oh my God, I, I contributed to all those pressures. I needed you to be a certain way for me to look good. I needed you to behave and to achieve and to become and to, you know, look a certain way and do certain things. So I know I contributed to those pressures. So there was that act, the acting, there was that, that role that was being played. And then there was the truth, the essence of who he was. So I would always look at the two and separate the two. Like you many times, I would say, you know what, that's your addict uh, personality. I, I have no patience for that one. So go up to your room until you can you can calm down you can shift you can change and let your soul come out and talk to me tell me what is it that you really want from your heart you know don't come tell me what you don't like it but i'm tired of that what do you really want deep down inside get in touch with that voice that can speak for what you really desire mm -hmm. and as you said it was always a connection he wanted peace he wanted to do what made him happy yeah. that was it I think I think it might be a slightly different um, uh, in that both my kids, my son's psychotic break, he was 19, and my daughter's drug addiction was when she was in her 20s, although she might have begun just a little before that, but when she got out of control. And so there were already adults living out in the world. And so that was an interesting thing because they weren't under my roof. <laughs> my son was for a brief period. He lived, lived with... Um, his stepdad and, and his sister and I. Um, but that feeling of, I, I feel like if it had happened when they were younger, it would have been, for me, harder to to, to not try and control because mm -hmm. legally you can. <laughs> you can do all sorts of things. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful, but legally you can, right? <laughs> so when they're older, I mean, I had, I, I really had, to let go because I literally didn't have any control over either of them. Yeah. So, and we don't, no matter what age they are. <laughs> oh my goodness, Sherilyn, what a beautiful conversation to have with another mom, another teacher of spiritual principles, you know, a healer, someone who is out there assisting people in, in reconnecting with the essence of who we are, aligning with who we are. So I wanna ask you one final question. How do you align? with source so that you can maintain your strength and your clarity in the midst of not only with your children having their own journeys they're playing their own roles but also with so many clients that you are here to to assist how do you stay aligned um it really uh, well one thing when i was 13 my dad took it was the best thing he ever did just after my parents got divorced he took my brother and i so the Transcendental Meditation Center in Hartford, Connecticut, and, and we learned how to do TM as a little family. <laughs> and I've been, I've had a meditation practice for most of that time since then in the 70s. Um, there was, I took a little break for a while, but meditation has helped me tremendously. And then, um, and it really is, I think, expanded that that meditative state when I can, when I can come back to my center, in whatever way that that takes, there are times where 
I was so distraught and having nightmares about my daughter dying. And, but in the nightmare, I couldn't get, you know, to the, to that core, I would just go outside and lay on the ground and just let the earth hold me or, or, um, go for a walk. Anything that would just get me back to the present moment, um, really is uh, that that's really the only way, like I believe that, that is the thing that will connect you and remind you of the truth of who you are and who your kids or your other loved ones are that well if i have that connection and if i'm not this body and the thoughts i think then neither are they so all of their actions really like you said they're just really good having a really good time acting out this role <laughs> right or they're miserable acting out the role because that's true sometimes too yeah, that, that's absolutely beautiful. I had an encounter with a divine. And when I was in that state of total, complete connection, where I had let go of my thoughts and I was receiving <coughs> what I was told was that everything, all, all life is a stage. And what I was told is not only were each and every one of us going to receive an Oscar, but the moon got an Oscar, the seas got an Oscar, the mountains would get an Oscar, the flowers, the bees, the bears, everything gets an Oscar. And in that visualization, I just started laughing because I realized, oh, my God, I get an Oscar and you get an Oscar and we all get an Oscar. And if we remembered that we are all playing these games, we would all finally go why keep doing the same thing expecting a different result let's just have fun because to me that's what's happening our great awakening is because we're tired we're bored of playing the old roles of wars and separation and cheating and lying and jealousy we're tired of control and rich and poor and 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 all of those things that cause us to get addicted to something to not feel that pain let's just skip the pain and go right to the joy and that's what I'm so excited about. And how can people find you if they want to connect with you? They can um, go to my website. It's CherylLynn.com. It's S, it's, it's, well, you can see it on the screen. <laughs> um, but let me spell it because this will also be a podcast. Okay. Um, so it's S-H-E-R-R-Y-L-L-I-N.com. Yes. So you can find my website. I'm also on Facebook. I have um, under the same name on my personal page and my business page is Cheryl Lynn. Wonderful. Well, it's been a pleasure having you here, sharing your wisdom. Can't wait for your book to come out. Uh, we'll, we'll have to get together and, and have that experience of our books coming out um, so that we can assist others. Absolutely. Another way. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Thanks. This has been wonderful. Thank you, sister. Love you bunches. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please share this with others. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.